I'm Kate. Welcome and back to For Some, for some reason. reason, our so, podcast. Yes, our <laughs> podcast talks about movies, their tropes, their creation, background details, walking you through the entire plot. Spoiler Literally. city over here. Everything. I hope and you've seen this movie. Whatever else you we want to talk about, really. Yes. So this week is another sequel. We're talking about Aliens which is the 1986 follow-up to the 1979 movie Alien. Usually not a great sign when there's several years in between films, but while I liked this one less, I do think it lived up to the predecessor. Everybody on the production was hyper aware of what they had to live up to and seemed like they did their damnedest. And I think yeah. it pretty well. I would agree. Definitely a very different movie from the first one, but it was still really enjoyable to watch overall. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it dragged too, too much, though the runtime is a bit long. This was still made by Brandywine Productions, though the director this time is James Cameron. Um, Well known as Jim. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Apparently people call him Jim. I did not know that. We both watched different behind-the-scenes documentaries uh, Mm -hmm. with the same exact name, it turns out. Uh Making of Aliens. Yep. Uh, The one I watched was from 1986. Mine also claimed to be from 1986, but was twice as long. Yeah. (laughs) And I I saw yours, like, had a, like, parentheses saying 2003, and I don't know if maybe there was, like, a longer cut released in 2003 or what. That but, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I bet it's the follow-up because they kept they kept cutting back to like the older person. Like it's the same person, but them older talking okay. about it again. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> okay, so that makes sense. Interesting thing. I wonder how many people actually the one Kate watched was viewed 3.3 million times on YouTube. So a lot of people watched it. Yes. That's not even counting whatever DVD. It was Blu-ray even out at that time? No. <laughs> like whatever DVD came out back in 2003. I think that was HD DVD. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about those. Oh, man. Technology. So the budget for this was actually, again, relatively small in my opinion. It was $18.5 million. But the mm-hmm. revenue, interestingly, I don't know the exact figure. I found $131 million. Mm-hmm. or 183 million somewhere in between there yeah. is is the correct amount that uh, either way because usually the producers keep you know line by line right every <laughs> right like usually you know how much money a movie made so exactly some money <laughs> Who, uh, we got like 50 billion dollars worth but yeah uh, <laughs> sure as discussed before the runtime is a bit long so it's 137 minutes so that is well over two hours you kind of feel it at times, I think. Like, I definitely think a couple parts could have been shortened down. But yeah. overall, still enjoyable. For me, I definitely, towards the end, I got that, yeah. like, too much action. Like, I so, start to glaze. We will get into it, but <laughs> what gave me that, like, that kind of, I'm kind of getting over this movie feeling, was they had two different sections 
of where they're using, like, you have 15 minutes to do this or 16 minutes to do that. They did that multiple times in a row. And like, that should be your final act. And it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, It's just like, okay, I'm calculating how much time is left in the movie from y'all saying this. Right. Because I will say when they say like, oh, we have 15 minutes left in runtime, there's actually, it's actually 15 minutes. So yeah, that's cool. But, fun, but you don't need to do it multiple times Agreed. because it was never like we have three minutes. It was always like above 10. Right. It was quite a lot. And I would say this genre has switched from sci-fi horror definitely into sci-fi action. action. Yeah. Very actiony. Very 80s. Yes. <laughs> In every um, way. Yeah. yeah. So this is starring, of course, Sigourney Weaver as Ripley still, Michael Bean as Corporal Hicks, Carrie Henn as Newt, who's a little girl, mm-hmm. and Paul Reiser as Burke. There are some other named people in this. Again, arguably, I would say too many argue, yeah. like named people for how like small this movie should have been. Right. Um, well, they're all gone pretty quickly. <laughs> that's the thing. They, yeah. they die very shortly after coming into contact with the aliens. Yeah. Um, except for Vasquez, who I will say, and I'm going to get into a little bit more while we go through the movie, is very much like a spicy Latina. And then I found out she's not. Not even. Yeah. In real life at all. She, she is uh, white. Goldstein. Yeah. Jeanette Goldstein. <laughs> I guess this was the time before. I mean, it was that that was very common back in the day not to have the correct race of person yeah. play the she character. Might be, she says that her family is from Russia, Morocco, and Brazil. So somewhere in the past, I there mean, might have been. But I mean, white but, people live in all those countries. So. Yeah. And also, like, Brazil's an interesting one because, like, yes, Latina but not Spanish speaking, which is what she was speaking in the movie. Not at all. She didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely interesting. And I, I really, as I've said before, don't like that type of female character that was really prevalent, probably I guess from the eighties into the early two thousands, but we'll talk more about it. Someone else I wanted to mention, there is a different creature creator in this movie. So last time, of course, it was the infamous Geiger. And now instead it is Stan Winston, who Kate let me know is actually from Richmond, Virginia. So yeah. it's from our state. Woo. I think he has since passed. Rest in peace, sir. But yeah, did a good job honoring Geiger's vision, I think. Yeah, as much as you can. I think Geiger is such like a unique vision. You can't right. really mimic it exactly, but he he got pretty close. Yeah, he rounded up some crustacean bones for sure. <laughs> he did, and some some chicken parts, and yes. then made some nice scuttling face huggers. Yeah. I feel like they have less legs now. I think yeah. that's something I noticed. And the chest burster actually in this movie has arms, where the other one didn't. Yeah, it was he thought it looked too larval <laughs> he said it looked mm-hmm. too larval so he gave it arms so it could like pull itself out of the human body Ugh. yeah <laughs> so and then he's uh he's got, gone pretty quickly maybe we just bring him up later but i also wanted to mention al matthews 
who was like one of the main Marine guys in the early parts of the movie. He was also one of the few African-American people in the cast and always had a cigar in his mouth. (laughs) Even during the interview, he always had a cigar. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So interesting about him. He actually was in the military. He was a Green Beret in real life. So he, to me, I think was super fascinating because he was the only person who felt like an actual, I guess, military personnel to me. Everyone else had this very like lackadaisical attitude towards their mission and their job that I don't, again, I'm not a military expert by any means. I'm not in the military, Mm -hmm. nothing like that, but it's definitely not that casual (laughs) that they were portraying uh, it to be. No. Oh, and he was saying like, even on like the first day of set, he was like, as soon as we started and they gave those people their guns, he was like, I could tell they weren't taking it seriously enough. And he's like, at any time, he's like, I don't care if they're fake, if they're blanks or what, but if you put your finger on the trigger and point it at me, I'm going to shove the gun down your throat. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. okay, Al, yes. Yeah, he had that, that energy yes. <laughs> even in the movie about him. So I wish he had more. Again, he, he and a lot of the other Marines die fairly early, but we'll get into that. And I also want to point out, again, this is all background info before we get into the movie, but this set was very dangerous. Like, yes, very dangerous to work on. Yes. As we go through the movie, I'll pull out a couple points that have some more notable stories that I, you know, noticed. But yeah. And on that it, note, just a much bigger set in general, too. Like, the yeah. other one was much more claustrophobic and like limited to the one or one or two studio sets. And this one seemed to have, have multiple. It was like a huge mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. but uh, and probably lended itself to more room for errors <laughs> right and there was a lot more like moving things in this movie and mm-hmm. ra- like what I mean by that is like in the first movie mostly you had people walking on the surface of a planet you had and two different interiors of different sh- or three different interiors of different ships other than that you didn't really have any kind of like moving parts where in this one they're in like planes they're in real cars which i'll talk about as we go through like there was a lot more room for error in this and and a lot of error did (laughs) happen Mm -hmm. i do have one quote from james cameron talking about horror kind of in general and Mm -hmm. this is something i really ascribe to because i think i've talked about it before on the podcast but i am not a huge fan of gore or yeah because i think it's lazy Mm -hmm. and especially in horror And James Cameron said, and I quote, you don't create fear with gore, you create disgust, which is a very different emotion. And I was like, yes, that's my problem. Disgust is not fear. It's its own thing. And if you want to create disgust, great. But like, don't create disgust and call it fear. It's very, very different. I took that out of the the doc too. But then I was like, but there was for for that statement, there was quite a bit of Right. Gore. <laughs> right. And I don't even think I, I think it was a different kind of gore than the first one. Yeah. And again, I would not categorize this as a horror movie. Maybe it had some horrific elements, but not a horror movie itself. No, but I do think overall that quote still fits with my with my thought process. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I appreciate that he at least went into the movie with that mindset. And mm-hmm. you can tell like they were trying to be 
scary through the unknown and the isolation aspect of it. Right. Not to look at the chest bursty, even though there that is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So going back to the creature creation really quick, since there is a different creature director, the aliens do look different in this movie. Mm-hmm. One thing that they did was they simplified the design kind of significantly. One, to give more mobility to the actors that were in the suits. And also because you never really see them completely in direct light at all in this movie. The only one you do see like that is the mother at the end. But everything else is always hidden in shadow. And because of that, they were able to use like, they described them as like, the same technology as a Halloween skeleton costume, which is accurate, like a latex suit with like the foam platelets on top of it with Mm -hmm. like extreme shadow and light painted on it. Yeah. Which they're right. You couldn't really tell the difference most of the time in the movie because you never, it's always in shadow. Like everything's very dark. (laughs) Yeah. For me, the part that was the most, although I guess it's not that different from the original one, but the part that was the most obviously like that's a person in a suit was like the legs down. It just looked like a very sleek boot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The legs down. Definitely. But then I think back to the first movie and every time the monster would reach his hands out, it was definitely a dude like, you know, with his arms, like being like, ah, like reaching out. So, (laughs) (laughs) so with all that said, are you ready to get into the movie plot let's get into it yes all right so we open up on a star field with a ship moving through it we then see an internal view of the ship and it's shown to be ripley's escape ship from the first movie and she is still in stasis a proximity alert goes off in her chamber and she is then like docked with a larger spaceship the door to her shuttle is plasma cut open with a machine and then it moves forward with like a laser and scans all of the inside of her ship we do see that her ship has like frost covering everything too and after the scan is done people enter the ship with full environmental suits and flashlights and they note that her bio readouts say that she is still alive we can imply she's been there a while right we don't know So the next scene is on what we'd later learn to be Gateway Station at Ripley's in the med bay being overlooked by a doctor. A man, Burke, ugh, Burke, Burke. (laughs) enters the room holding Jonesy the cat who has also survived in stasis. So that's good. And Burke lets her know that he works for the company, which side note, I kind of like that they don't say what the company's name is at any point during this movie. And another book series that I've read uh, called the murder bot diaries. Excellent series is a series of novellas. Hmm. And the main character also never calls whatever company it worked for by its name. It's always just called the company. And now I think it's a reference to this. Oh yeah, probably. Right. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I don't remember hearing at any point. I only remember seeing the logo when they're mm-hmm. first like going through one of the um the base yeah and you're seeing like all the kids running around and they do do like a, a little zoom pan on wayland yutani yeah i was like oh i thought because in my mind it's just wayland but i guess yeah it's evolved and at that time it was wayland yutani we don't actually hear the name in this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> just see the logo yeah 
So he lets her know that he works for, quote, the company and that she was in an extremely long hypersleep. Ripley is confused at first, but Burke tells her she's out drifting in space for 57 years. I wanted to point out here, Burke keeps calling her kiddo in this scene and throughout the movie, and either they are the same age or she is older than him. Yeah. So that pissed me off immediately. Right. Ugh. Ugh. Burke. And it seems like a word that she would have used. Like, she seems like she would say kiddo and not, I don't know. Right. Not him. Yeah. He's just like a typical 80s, like, grease ball. Yeah. Like, sucks. Again, he's one of those people who's like, nothing he can do about it, but just his face. I I dislike his face. <laughs> he looks very different when he is older than when he's younger. Yeah. Because his IMDb has his older picture. And I was like, what? Is that him? Yeah, right. Yeah. So at this news, Ripley starts to like convulse and kind of seize. Jonesy starts reacting the same way to her that he did when the alien was around. Jonesy. Uh, So happy he made it. Me too. (laughs) A team bursts in and she begs them to kill her. And then we see the chest burster start to move under her skin. But then she snaps awake and it's a nightmare and see that she is actually safe in med bay like that, none of that happened or at least the alien part didn't happen she right. was frozen for 57 years yeah. this movie both when i was a kid watched it and as i rewatched it did give me nightmares of that but specifically like pregnancy like yeah that bird Ugh. yeah no Ugh. no uh no thank you from me the biggest fear of this yeah so <clears throat> the next scene was uh an interrogation is what I called it. Um, she's sitting in front of some kind of committee or panel of probably C-suite executives. And she's being asked to repeatedly tell the story of what happened. Mm-hmm. And then they claim that with her blowing up the ship and all of this, just blowing up the ship, she incurred $42 million worth of damage, which is not including the payload. Again, I want to point out here, everyone in this meeting room is smoking inside a space station. And again, it was the 80s. Smoking inside was very common. But like that is so unusual to see now that Mm -hmm. it like jarred me. Yeah. So they tell her that her story can't be fully corroborated, which like she's the only survivor. Anyway, uh, and that she was the one who blew up the ship and they found no evidence of the alien. So they just like, don't believe her. Even though she's like, of course you don't. I blew it up. Blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> out of the airlock. Like, what did you expect? So then like, the panel mm-hmm. claims that there's no known life on that planet where the alien, you know, was from. And she was like reading them. And she's like, of course, it's not from that planet. We found it on a spacecraft which means it is a non-native species. It wouldn't be in your records. Mm-hmm. And she was just like not having it that day. And I was <laughs> here for it. The single lady that is on this panel claims that it's weird that they haven't found evidence of aliens in over 300 worlds. So they just don't believe her. Right. Because science. Yeah. I don't right. know if there are any actual, well, she mentioned that, right? Like, did you all forget about science? Like, right. What? <laughs> exactly. So clearly implying that they're all just business people and have no concept of science. Yeah. So then they try to like dismiss her, 
But then Ripley is just yelling at them for being stupid and not believing her, which I put typical bureaucratic bullshit. That's my, right. that's my note. <laughs> my confusion was that right. I think they do officially strip her of like all of her. They, they must, but they don't right. say it here. Okay. I thought they did. Like they were like, you're hereby. I think it's a Maybe thing, I but like they told her that like she can't pilot things anymore. She can't do what she used to do. And it is like right before the scene, they only mentioned it once, but like the guy, Burke, is supposedly like her attendant getting her ready for that deposition. But the depositions, I thought, never has like a, it's just like a pre court thing, right? Like when they're still supposed to be, although. So I don't feel like this is court. This is just like some weird corporate stuff. Like, yeah, just a big meeting, a big firing firing meeting. Yeah, like since they're keeping her within the company, there's no court. It's just true, you know, a demotion, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, right to work station, I guess. (laughs) I well, in this far future, I mean, we heard about how terrible their contracts were in the last movie, so like that doesn't surprise me, right? Um, Oh yeah, and it was like um, they they definitely mentioned that they scrubbed over it, but they were like, "You landed for no reason," and it was mm -hmm. like it was in our contract that we had, but we had to land. Like, what are you talking about? So after this meeting, she then learns that there are terraformers on the planet who have been there for twenty years. There are sixty to seventy families, and they haven't seen any evidence of the alien. So obviously she's lying and Ripley is horrified. Uh, well, it's like maybe they landed in like one continent and it's across the world. Right. Like, still, yeah. And we learn a lot more about that later. Oh God. <laughs> but after the meeting, the next scene is Ripley just sitting in her quarters, smoking again, smoking on a space station and like sporting a very fab new haircut. It's nice and short. Oh yeah. And the pretty like fake tree lounge is it this her her house is her her quarters yeah oh okay because then burke comes with a space marine (laughs) and tells her that now they have lost contact with the people in the terraforming colony at the place she told them was gonna be a problem so right yeah immediately after (laughs) right so we learn that they want ripley to go back to the planet and the Marine who's with Burke claims that she wouldn't be going, quote, in with the troops and they could guarantee her safety. And I was just like, there is no possible way you can ever guarantee someone's safety while going on some kind of mission like this. Like, yeah, space. We're in space. We're in space <laughs> on a planet that we're trying to terraform. We know there might be potentially dangerous aliens there that already killed your entire crew. So anyway, let's uh, let's, let's say well, we they don't know it. that they're dead. They just lost contact oh, some, well, for some reason. You know, for some reason, <laughs> we just can't get in contact with them in the place that you said there were deadly aliens. <laughs> anyway, so check it out. Just check yeah, it out. Just could you just come with us and look? <laughs> so the Marines claim that they'll be completely ready for whatever they find, but they just like want her there as an advisor. And I was like, my. God, this is some bullshit for her. So Ripley is has been working in the cargo section of the space station, like moving cargo around. And Burke tries to convince her to come back, saying he would get her reinstated as a flight advisor. That's what she wanted to do. Right. Yeah. 
So he keeps pushing, but she says, absolutely not. And they finally leave her alone. But then we see Ripley wake up in a full panic uh, during the night. She's clearly still very deeply traumatized by her experience with the alien. Then she calls Burke again, having to use a little punch card on her machine to do a video call. I know that was super 80s, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was like his business card and like, this is how you actually call me. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was a cool concept before we knew that you get to store everything in the same place. Yeah. So she calls Burke and confirms that they're going there to destroy all the aliens, right? And not, not to study them. And he confirms this and she says she's in and then hangs up on him before he can get a fucking quip in. And I love that. But then just, just everyone knows she tells Jonesy that he's going to stay on the space station. So Jonesy, the cat does not come along. I think it's relevant to the movie, her daughter, but it's right before the deposition, I think. So tell us about this deleted scene, Kate. Okay. Yes. You, um, I think you watched the director's yes. cut instead of the I did. We just one. found that out as, as we we're discussing the movie. And I'm like, I think I might have jumped something. We did. We watched different cuts. So I, that's why it felt so, so long to me because it was a bit longer. Significantly <laughs> longer, folks. Yeah. yeah like extra 20, 20 minutes. something minutes. Yeah. yeah. Which in this movie felt like forever. Yeah. Because in my notes, it took an hour and 20 minutes before anything significant happened. It was all exposition. Oh, so it's the scene after she wakes up from the nightmare Burke comes to visit her first and just kind of catch her up on what happened while Mm -hmm. she was asleep. So the only thing that she cares about is her daughter. And um, she's like, did you find any information about my daughter yet? And he gives her a picture of an old woman. She was 57. I want to say no, sorry, 64. She was 64 when she died. So she's already passed away of Mm. cancer. Mm. And he makes the comment of like, yep, we still haven't cured that one, which might be, I know. So she passed away with no children and Ripley makes the comment. I promised her I would be home for her birthday, her 11th birthday. That's, that's real sad. And then Burke's comment, he has no emotion. He's just like, well, you can't keep every promise. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh my God. They really make you hate Burke in this movie. I will say like, he has no redeeming qualities at all. No. He just sucks from the minute you meet him until the minute he fucking dies. Right. Um, and even before he's like proven that he sucks, you know, he sucks you, and everything. You he feel says, it. You're like he's lying. Yeah, I know you feel lying. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the air. It's in the ether. Hmm. So that little scene makes a lot more sense in context of why one big thing we're going to go through in the movie is that Ripley's character is very different in this movie. As in, she's much more like, motherly and has mm, this like very protector parental role in this movie that was not present in the last one because her role was not written as a gendered role last time right and now i guess the movie's like she's a woman therefore she must have all these like very deep motherly instincts and while that is true for like most women and i'm not even going to clarify like you know cis or trans or anything it's it's Mm -hmm. very true but like it wasn't a part of her character before. So I felt it to be a bit disingenuous. Yeah. Disingenuous. We'd already built. Yeah. yeah heavy handed. Heavy handed doesn't she, even cover. Right. <laughs> she might've mentioned her daughter once in the last movie, but I feel like if they were going to go so hard with the storyline, it's kind of ridiculous that they cut that scene out because it, it like made it to me. It, it's the only thing like I, it, the scene felt 
you know, extremely like expositional of like, this is the only thing that she cares or is asking about at home on the earth planet, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it was necessary for me. Like I at least understood like, okay, this is what we're going with here. Right. So interesting. They cut that. Well, that is very interesting that they cut that because that is very significant to the rest of the movie. So I guess as we're going through this, we'll, we'll all find out together. What are the the different scenes? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, now they're on their way again, back to the planet. We see a large spaceship moving through a star field again. We see stasis chambers and we get a computer readout of all the names of all the Marines plus Ripley. Mm -hmm. I will say one weird thing I took note of is that instead of wearing like white, like undies in this and white undergarments, everyone who's a Marine is wearing this army green color and Ripley they have in, in gray to like even from from like the base of their clothing signify that these people are different from each other. Mm-hmm. So the drill sergeant shows up. I wish I had written down his name. This is this is the man we mentioned before that was an actual real life Green Beret. And I said, does the typical 80s drill sergeant shit the casual harassment of the troops? Which is true. Sergeant Apon, Apon, Apone? I think it's Apon. Okay, Mm -hmm. Sergeant Apone. So then we see a quote-unquote spicy Latina who's somehow already like super awake and doing pull-ups for some reason. And she immediately starts making fun of Ripley with the only other female Marine and one of the guys who I think was like her, you know, boo, her husband. Yeah. Not husband, like her, you know, boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. So... They all seem to think it's funny that she's a consultant and that she's also seen the alien before. And I was very confused by this because I'm like, you're going into a potentially extremely dangerous situation with an alien life form. Wouldn't you want to pick her brain about everything she's seen? Yeah. The one person with Intel. Right. Instead of just being a dick. Cause that's what they did. Yeah. They all seemed like children, which was like, but it was confusing because I, I have worked with the military before in my yeah. in my career, and I do actually, but they don't act like this, guys. Yeah. And, and maybe it's because I work with a lot of officers, but like I don't know, but they don't act like this. Like they act like normal adults with like things to do. <laughs> so right. I didn't really understand that. But again, I think it was of the time. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, that's a good point. It might have been more that culture at that point. Well, I think movie-wise of the time, like to show like Marines and everything and all this like in this manner, which is not exactly true from what I have seen, which, you know, again, not an expert in any sense of the word. Um, So I want to just, we might be saying the same thing here. I don't know. Uh, there was a very casual trans joke being thrown out at Vasquez, mm. who is the quote unquote spicy Latina. Yeah. Uh, didn't love that. No, I think her comeback was okay, but like they didn't have to put that in the at all. At all. Yeah. 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 She had a, yeah, she had a comeback, but it could yeah. have just not been there. I'm also realizing another scene that I think was probably deleted because it was right before this. 
Did you see the scene where they first introduced Newt and her brother and her mother and Absolutely father? Absolutely not. The first <laughs> time we see the child is is when she's she's like alone on the station. No. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are as amazing as as we are (laughs) no so yeah this this director's cut is a lot more like here you go here is what's happening so we first are introduced to newt in the director's cut along with her brother tammy and her mother and her father who for some reason her father sent out on like a scouting mission to go like respond to some distress call or some signal we figure that out later okay and he decided to bring his whole family Okay, that's confusing. Two kids. That's confusing. Uh, yeah, um, especially with what we learn later. I would not have brought anybody, and I also right. wouldn't have gone. Right. Oh, and they also lead up to that scene a little bit with um, the mom saying, "Like Newt, if I catch you hiding in the air ducts one more time, oh my I'm god, gonna... yeah, it's him." It, it, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. and she's like, "But mom, all the kids hide down there." <laughs> so yeah, her her dad pops out of the like the rover to go like, I'm just going to go. He pulls up to the alien spaceship. He's like, I'm just going to pop in, just take some photos. The mom says, shouldn't we call it in? And he says, we can't call it in until we know what it is. Like, no, what? not no, true. Not true not, at all. That's not our spaceship. That's not yeah. any human spaceship. So, so we should, we should call it in. That's something right. significant. So he goes in there and then uh, two seconds later, the mom comes back to like, we're just looking at Newt because she's like trying to see out the window. But of course, it's like foggy and, and like stormy and you can't see anything. So she's trying to look out the front window. And then her mom, like literally two seconds after they leave, runs open the door again and is like, Mayday, Mayday, need it back now, now. And then they pan to the dad who already has a face hugger on him. And Newt does her Newt thing of just screaming. Yeah. So much screaming. There's, uh, I don't, I watched the original like theater version yeah. and I don't know if I could recommend watching the director's cut. No, I, I would definitely not. <laughs> from what I'm hearing, it tells you too much. If you're like, a dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you get everything she's saying from watching the movie without mm-hmm. these scenes. So like save that extra 20 minutes. Right. Watch the theater. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was painful and long, but yeah. I guess since this is me first time introducing Newt, that I'll say that on that note, this was the child's first time ever acting, period. In anything. In yeah. anything, yeah. I hadn't even been interested in it. They were just looking for kids that didn't have an English accent in, in Britain. Yeah. And she did a pretty good job, I think, for yeah. not having ever acted in her life. Yeah. They said in behind the scenes that the, the thing they really liked about her were that all of the trained actor kids... When they said a line, they would smile afterward because they had been like taught to like always have a smile on. Ugh. But but the lines <laughs> that she was reading are not happy lines. No. And so she didn't read them happy and they're like, good. Yes. <laughs> also, uh, Jim, Jim Cameron made her watch the first alien before they started filming. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love this. And she thought it was funny. She did because she was eight. And yeah. I'm like, Jim. <laughs> Maybe not a great movie for an eight-year-old. Right. Again, I'm I'm almost 30, so I don't find things like that scary. But an eight-year-old back in the 80s? I was scared by it when I was a kid, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm admiring. I think it's admirable that she thought it was funny because I did not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, With all that. <laughs> we're uh, introduced to Vasquez and all the Marines. Yes. Yes. And, honestly, and Bill Paxton, right? 
Bill Paxton, yeah, they're they're all named, but most of them don't really matter. So we're we're not gonna go through them. Yeah. I hated it, Hudson. I know that I did hate Hudson. I <laughs> I agree with that one. He was like the typical, I have a note about him in a minute, just like this smarmy asshole. Ugh, because we're at the morning briefing now. So yes. all of the troops are shown to be like low-key harassing the officer that's briefing them. And I was like, I do not think so. Again, not in it. Don't think so though. I don't think that would fly. (laughs) So this officer, he explains that they have still no contact with the planet and they might be dealing with a xenomorph, which is the first time we hear that term used to describe the alien in the series. So that's cool. Yeah. I love that. I was, I wrote that too. And we get introduced to some of the people that aren't Marines, uh, like Bishop. Did you get yeah. that intro with Bishop? Yeah. No. No. The way that they, uh, they introduce Bishop in the director's cut is he just goes over to Hudson because Hudson's being fucking annoying. And Bishop grabs his hand. Puts oh, his wait. Own hand. I'm sorry. I was, I skipped the mess hall scene. <laughs> oh, you're good. <laughs> sorry, guys. So before good, I the, mo- I the morning <laughs> briefing, they're in the mess hall and okay. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff I didn't like here. So now we're kind of getting like the characterization of the, of the Marines here. Mm-hmm. All of the men are sitting together and start making gross jokes about having sex with all the colonist daughters. Yeah. Excuse me. Virgin like, daughters. Who are like 12. Children, who are yeah. children. Um, yeah. Then they start playing that knife game where you like stab it between your fingers really fast mm-hmm. which okay they're cool and tough because mm-hmm. of that and That's... then they talk about how they're like upset that the new lieutenant who is their commanding officer isn't sitting with them <laughs> sorry <Kate. laughs> i can't sit with us <laughs> okay. can't sit with us yeah that was interesting to me because uh it was specifically like um jim said he didn't know how to introduce the character of uh bishop mm-hmm. because we'll learn about him in a minute but he was like you know i want people to take note of him right away and right it's like something is calculated about him i thought for sure that was a dummy hand that they did that with Real nope. hand. yeah bishop just practiced over and over and over for that scene i'm like so if you had stabbed him you really would have stabbed him <laughs> i mean maybe that screaming <laughs> was <Yeah>. real right <laughs> so then, like, Ripley is sitting with the lieutenant and with Bishop comes to sit with them. And we learn specifically here that Bishop is a synthetic person, which is what they call androids in this franchise, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what Bishop specifically says he right. prefers to be called. Yeah, Ripley's pissed because she doesn't want him around because after the shit she dealt with last time. Ash. And Burke tell- gives her some, I said, peak bullshit about how he just, like, forgot to tell her like oh my god sorry girl forgot to tell you sign one yeah what else did you forget to tell me right turns out a lot yeah (laughs) uh bishop claims that the model she dealt with was known to be and i quote twitchy and she tells bishop to stay away from her (laughs) yeah (laughs) so now we get to the morning briefing guys we're back to it as i said all the troops are shown to be harassing the commanding officer you learn about the xenomorph. Then he asks Ripley to talk about like what she knows. So she begins to explain 
what she encountered last time, but is like kind of almost immediately interrupted by Vasquez, who is the spicy Latina, who is really pushing. So what? Oh my God. And I quote from myself, who is really pushing this cooler than thou tough Latina chick bullshit and says she only needs to know where the alien is because implied that she's just going to kill it. And okay. Right. I wrote also like not to say at all that every spicy Latina character is the same or they wrote them the same. They did. Yeah. But it seemed like almost like now that we've seen Resident Evil in the past couple of weeks, it was like Michelle Rodriguez's character was uh-huh. just like copy ooh, paste. Copy paste. Yeah. 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 Like when you make these kinds of stereotypes in characters, they are not original. They don't reflect the culture that you're trying to quote unquote represent. And it's cheap and it's lazy. Like don't yeah. like if anyone who's listening to us writes movies or anything like that, don't do shit like that. Yeah. Like write what you an know. actual person. And if you don't know, you want to include somebody else's culture, reach out to somebody of that culture. Yeah. At least read your draft. Yeah. If they give you advice, listen, <laughs> please try just, if you write them as a person, it will work like right, a real exactly. punct- like functioning fully flesh person. It will work. But instead right. falling back on this bullshit means you keep writing the same character over and over. And it's not a real person. Right. Anyway. And rant. <laughs> <laughs> so Someone, of course, in this moment makes a crude joke about her race, but then before anything further can happen, her race, as in Vasquez's race, it's some racist bullshit, but Ripley cuts them all off. She explains very harshly that they're going into some potentially very dangerous shit, and they don't know how many aliens they could potentially encounter. Of course, okay, you should read my notes. Uh, I said, of course, one of the dudes, and I said, quote, honestly, I don't care to know his name, (laughs) has some smarmy retort, and the drill sergeant, uh, Apone, puts him in his place. Thank God. (laughs) And this is one we said, hey, and I've already forgotten his name. Me too. Yeah, so it doesn't matter, because he dies quickly, and I don't like him. (laughs) So the lieutenant then assigns the troops all their duties which upsets them for some reason. Like he's like, you have to be ready and doing like to work by eight 30 in the morning, which isn't even that early. And they're all very upset by this. And then he leaves them to their work. It's like, I, I don't know what they were doing prior to this. Maybe they're just chilling in a space station for months, but yeah, they're all just like, I have to be a Marine. What? Right. I'm like, you're a Marine, bro. This is your job. Like, what yeah. is happening? Mm-hmm. So now as they're prepping to arrive at the planet, all the troops are doing their various duties to get ready. Uh, We see the power loader for the first time, which is like this uh, power suit that you put on to move heavy loads. I wrote that it was kind of the equivalent of seeing the giant spaceship in the previous movie. It was like they built this giant mecha. Mm-hmm. For like a 15 second clip of like, look, we can lift things. Well, no, because we see it later when she oh, fights yeah, yeah, the yeah. alien queen. So, yeah, it, but I mean, we didn't need to enter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it. they made it work too well, almost like it could have been just like the parts could have worked separately. You could have edited it together. But instead, they're like, no, we need the budget for a giant mecha. Well, I'll explain to you how it actually worked. There was a guy mm-hmm. in a all black suit who was attached to all the mechanical parts and he would then have Ripley attached to the front of his body 
and all of his movements were her movement. And so it would look like she was moving this machine when actually it was just like a guy behind her moving. Oh, okay. Pretty interesting. He was, he was a good at his job. I'll say. Yeah. Very good at his job. Yeah. Cause I, I think I probably zoned out at that point because again, this was three hours and I tried. Yeah, <laughs> I did listen to it. <laughs> so Ripley then walks up and asks to be of help because she's just standing around. And that's when we learn she can drive the power loader due to her work in the cargo bay mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. All the men are very impressed by this for some reason, <laughs> even though I guess like the modern equivalent would be someone knowing how to use like, like forklift? at a dock, like, like a forklift. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like a forklift. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> beep, beep, yeah, beep. exactly. <laughs> Cause that's exactly like what she did. But anyway, all the Marines then mm-hmm. suit up and get ready to drop down to the planet in a smaller ship with a little car inside of it. I uh, want to point out that some of their armor here was definitely reused football gear. Oh, yeah. Like, very obviously. Yeah. We first see the little car here, and I just want to say this is actually like an aircraft puller that they then, like, welded metal onto in real life. <laughs> yeah. Welded metal onto to create this, like, futuristic look. And they had... A lot of issues with it, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And then they get into the dropship and drop into the upper atmosphere. We learn that the lieutenant is super green. Like this is only his second drop in real life. <laughs> and we also see that all the troops have body cameras. Uh, mind you, the other like lower ranked Marines have dozens of drops under their belt. So. I think that's part of the reason that they don't respect him in the movie. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, again, I don't know anything about the military, but I feel like a potentially a situation as potentially dangerous as this one, you wouldn't put somebody that great. Although I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess you use who you have. I guess. I also, but I agree with you. Like logically you wouldn't put someone so new, but maybe they really thought it wouldn't be that dangerous, Mm. I guess. Yeah. So which, sorry, also, I just realized they said we're going bug hunting and they use the term xenomorph. But mm-hmm. that lady in the room earlier said that we've never yeah. heard of any aliens in 300 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody didn't check the script. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On, or maybe she meant like an alien like the one you described. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe that's what she meant. Let me give her some grace and say it's that one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So they're on the planet. They first get to what I call the atmosphere creator station, which I think that's actually what it was. It was because it's all terraforming. Mm -hmm. They say it's fully automated. I have a lot of questions here. They say it's fully automated, but there was full staffing inside. So I don't really understand what they meant by that, but sure. Yeah. It seems to be structurally intact from the outside at the very least. The little car. (laughs) <laughs> call it the whole time <laughs> drives off the dropship and then drives up to the facility where the crew comes out uh they're in two different sections this is squad a or squad one i notice one that some people here are not wearing jackets so they look like rambo yeah i know they- the, the car the little car thing that you keep saying a little car I felt like that was uh, Tesla's Cybertruck inspiration. That's literally what it looks like, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is, yes, it's literally the Tesla Cybertruck, which is 
ungodly ugly. Yeah, very much. So, <laughs> so um, I guess here's where I'll talk about it. But while filming, again, this is a car that can move aircrafts. So it's mm-hmm. very powerful and very heavy, even though it's small. Well, it's, it's car size, but it's small. Mm-hmm. The brakes failed at one point and then ran over some car- some cameras. They had yeah. decided to remotely operate at the very last minute because they were like, maybe we shouldn't have a car driving full speed at us and then stopping <laughs> before it reaches the cameraman. We'll just leave the cameras there. And of course the brakes failed and ran over the cameras and would have killed all of all them. All the cameramen, yeah. So, and then in another scene... <laughs> The driver of the car thought that they had the car in forward, but they accidentally had it in reverse and pinned a bunch of people to a wall. Yeah. They managed to come out mostly unharmed, but this shit was dangerous. This set was full of problems. And I missed it. Sorry. But I think that it was when they were entering the atmosphere. That was another one. Like they were actually jostling the the set that they were inside of and somebody didn't put enough screws in the ceiling. Yep. And a big just chunk of it fell, hit somebody in the head. And then um, Al Matthews, the Green Beret, managed to snatch Sigourney Sigourney Weaver out of the way. He said, like, almost grazed her. Yeah. And apparently he, like, took control of the situation at that point. He was, Yeah, apparently, like, he really, in multiple situations, just, like, snapped into attention, was like, you go here, you go here, you do this, you do that. Like, because, like, this set was just, like, so dangerous. But, yes, like, things fell apart. We're going to get to another part where they had issues with fire we'll yeah talk about it when it happens yeah. and that one was incredibly dangerous yeah and then they kept doing the same scene in the same way i was like yeah what? and so, i don't know for this one which particular set it is but also they said that one of the best locations they found was a decommissioned coal coal-fired power plant mm-hmm. in west london mm-hmm. and they had to go scrub it for asbestos like a team was sent to clean it up and uh, take atmosphere readings and stuff. And they only got it to like the, the 1986 legal limit for asbestos. Not good. So that could have also contributed. <laughs> but, oh, and then they talked about like, people were just like burning parts of like the unneeded set, just like in the middle of the ground during the day. Like after they finished with stuff they didn't need, they would just set it on fire on the concrete. And I was like, what was happening in the 80s? Children. Yeah. Children. I'm going to go ahead and blame the first AD because that is usually who, like, when the director is not talking to you, that's who's taking care of the rest of the set. Like, the director is, like, uh-huh. taking care of what's on camera. And everybody across the board said the first AD sucked. He wasn't even in the behind the scenes. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he should have been allowed to, like, represent himself and give his <laughs> side of the story, but he wasn't even there. Oh, <laughs> Like, that guy sucked. He he sucked. And the producer lady was like, you know, I take pride in having very safe sets and I did the best that we could do. And yeah. So I just want to say that the producer was Gail Ann Hurd, who you might know as the, uh, the the walking dead uh, producer. Yes. Yes. She had met Jim on Terminator. They were, they were married briefly. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 For about four years. That's why they didn't want her to be on the set too. Yeah. Because they didn't trust her opinion. Like what you trust Jim's opinion of her, but not her opinion of, okay, Sure. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yes. So we're in it. So the first squad enters this building where they find just pure chaos. 
wires are hanging, water's falling. Oh, it's raining the entire time they're on this planet, I guess due to the terraforming. Mm -hmm. But water's like entered the building and falling from the ceiling. Walls, ceilings are destroyed. And the second squad enters but goes to the second level. They notice some of the damage is definitely from weapons. And they turn on their motion trackers, which this time seems like some kind of sonar technology. They move through the building, clearing different rooms and sections. They find a bunch of holes in the metal walls and ceiling, showing that the aliens are there and, in fact, do have acid for blood. Almost like it's exactly what Ripley said they would find. They literally, I think Burglar says acid for blood and, like, looks at her and she's like, she's like, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Ripley, Burke, the lieutenant are all not inside the building. They're basically inside this this plane that had landed. But the lieutenant, mm-hmm. for some reason, now feels like the area is secure and they should all go in. Yeah. Ripley protests this, but is immediately shot down. And I was like, why are you bringing her in as an advisor if you're not going to listen to her advice? Right. Ugh. That's her job. <laughs> right? Like her singular task. So they enter the building and we find out that they didn't even find a single body. They continue investigating again, like how's the building clear if you didn't investigate the entire building, but sure. So then Ripley sees that in, I guess, one of the science labs, they have tubes full of face huggers and chest bursters in various stages of development. The so they did of, know. So like, why right? did they re- report that back? Yeah. Right. We found it later. Uh, the rest of the crew is too dumb to be scared of this. Burke even gets close to one of the face huggers in the tank. Like he puts his face up to mm-hmm. it and it starts like wiggling in the tube and like sucking on the side of the glass. Ugh. The crew sees something coming on their radar and confirm that it's no one from the first group. This is, this is squad B who's upstairs. They go hunt it down and immediately start shooting at it when they see some movement but miss, which is good because it turns out to be a little girl. Which again, like further on, he specifically tells them when and when not to release fire. Mm-hmm. So why were they just shooting? I don't well, know. Later, he tells them when to and not to because of the nuclear reactor. They mm-hmm. realize they're all standing on top of. Okay, yeah. So okay. I guess they just had permission to fire at will <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Uh, Instead of just letting Ripley gently talk the little girl out of hiding, one of the dudes just like grabs her, which causes her to like run away. Mm -hmm. Ripley chases her into a tube, which leads to the empty space in a wall. I don't really know what this is. I think from the previous deleted scene, they said it was the air ducts or like the. Okay, but it was a room. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like I, other places I can say she's in the air ducts, but like, yeah. this is a room. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, trash room. Yeah, It might be a trash room because the floor is littered with trash, but it leads to a space that seems to be, I guess, her safe haven. Ripley like holds and soothes her until she's able to come down. She conveniently finds a picture on the floor right next to her of the little girl that says that the girl's name is Rebecca. And Rebecca says, no, my name is Newt. So we learn that her name is Newt. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Do they ever explain that? I don't remember. No, no they do not. Just Newt. So they take her out, check her over with, I guess this lady was medical personnel, but like, we don't know anything about her. 
the Marines try to like force information out of her, like super aggressively. Again, she is a literal child, but so clearly with PTSD. Right. So are obviously unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. Instead, Ripley cleans her off and feeds her. Well, the other Marines are checking for personal data transmissions, which are surgically implanted chips, I guess, that keep track of people and also their vitals up to 20 kilometers away. So minimally helpful. Okay. Yeah. Newt talks a little bit more and we get confirmation that her whole family is dead. And then she says it won't make a difference whether the soldiers are there or not. <laughs> it's Ooh. like, well, girl. The child line. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're with Bishop. Bishop is in that, I don't know, science area mm-hmm. and is looking over a face hugger and is being a little bit weird. The red flag. <laughs> right. So the Marines finally find the people via their chips and they're all together in a cluster in one of the towers. So they all go to check it out, which I was like, okay. And I was like, isn't it weird? Like, this is like, it's weird, right? That like everyone would be together in a cluster without this single child. Like, don't you think that wouldn't happen? No. I mean, the the last movie, that's what they kept doing. They kept splitting up. Like, right. Like, it just, like, didn't make any sense. It was, like, everyone at, like, who lives at this place wouldn't all be together and this single child be weirdly fending for herself if they're all fine, you know? Right. Like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. But they go to the tower. (laughs) I said they all go over together despite the obvious danger. Mm -hmm. The lieutenant, the consultants, including Bishop and Newt, all stay back. The team, which consists of all Marines, all goes in to find alien like growths inside the tower it's as if like the original ships like the same architecture and design slowly start to overtake this tower mm-hmm. they are then instructed to go inside these like weird organic looking hallways mm-hmm. inside they claim that the walls must be some kind of secreted resin again i was like i don't know how you know that um right like it must be secreted resin must be Right. What? Okay. This is where they figure out the team cannot fire their rounds in here because they're light armor piercing rounds, which will then pierce the whole of the reactor core that's below them, causing a nuclear meltdown. So the lieutenant orders a pwn to tell the Marines to give up their rounds without explaining why they have to do this. So, of course, because they're asked to do something by someone they do not respect without explanation, some of them hide rounds from their guns and actually additional guns in general away (laughs) because they don't know of the danger. So a pwn takes most of the rounds, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of guns in this movie. Yeah, and Sigourney Weaver is actually pretty famous for being anti-gun, specifically. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, actively, like she... She advocates against it. She votes against it and all that. Mm -hmm. So apparently we find out from behind the scenes, she skims scripts when she gets them and doesn't (laughs) read any of the stage directions. (laughs) So she didn't know that there were guns in this movie till she was on set. Yeah. And they handed her the the gun and she's like, what do I do with this? And they're like, that's for your scene. And she was like, Ripley has a big gun. They're like, yeah, didn't you read the paragraphs? (laughs) 
Yeah, because mm-hmm. they showed like clips of what the stage direction looked like. It was yeah. paragraphs. I was like, you got you can't skip that much. <laughs> like, like, that's right. ridiculous. Come on. So with all that, mm-hmm. they find all of the colonists encased in the same resin as the walls, like attached to the walls and the ceiling. They find one woman alive, actually, who then begs to be killed. But before they could do that, a chest burster bursts out of her chest. Uh, and then they kill it with a flamethrower. But then killing the baby wakes up all of the adult aliens. Yes. Yeah, who are that's, like curled up like against the walls and stuff. Yeah, that scene was really cool and really creepy for me. One example of like gore that was scary because um, mm-hmm. they filmed it twice with like the actress there and then like a silicone mold of her. And some guy, probably the same guy that did the uh, the Mecca, probably. just like came up in between her mold and like like they had to do it several times of like it's not violent enough, more violent and like yeah, like shaking her. That's the sound Kate's making. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because they were like shaking it, the mold of of, of her, right. and then like I guess like the latex stuff that they use gets really like papery thin when it gets wet. Mm-hmm. So that's how they were easily able to like burst through her chest with the puppet. Yeah. <laughs> I think this to me was probably the most gory part of the movie. Yeah. It yeah. was effective. It yeah. Got the, yeah. It was less surprising than the first one. For sure. Yeah. Still effective. <clears throat> yeah. So the team can't lock onto the signals of any of the aliens, but they do know that they're like starting to surround them. An alien unfolds itself, like, from the wall, like, right next to them and starts killing some of the squad. Of course, this caused some of the Marines to start firing their guns, which they're not (laughs) supposed to. Ripley tells the lieutenant to get the team out of there, like, call them back. But the lieutenant just, like, won't listen. And I just, like, for the life of me, I couldn't understand his character in this. Right. Like, I don't know if he was trying to, like prove that he was the one in charge because he's so new and felt they had to prove himself. Like if I'm giving the movie some like grace, like that's what I'll say, but like, it's not really explained. And like, we don't know enough about the character through the script to know if that's it, but I can infer. Yeah. It literally just seems like he got picked on and then it was like, well, I'm going to double down in Mm -hmm. my wrongness. Yeah. Loud and wrong. Yeah. (laughs) So eventually, my favorite drill sergeant, Apone, is killed by one of the aliens, and it ripfully takes shit into her own hands, commandeers the little car, and drives it to go save the squad. Yeah. She then breaks through a wall with, with the car, and this is where the flame situation happens, and most of the squad makes it back onto the car while shooting at the aliens. But one of the blonde dudes who's like Vasquez's like boyfriend or whatever mm-hmm. gets a face full of acid blood and dies. Yeah. I mean, quick way to go, at least, honestly. I mean, comparatively to some of these. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when this this fun fact happens, I guess is fun. Huh. They're using flamethrowers to ward off the aliens from trying to get into the car. So they were like in real life using real fire, <laughs> <laughs> which like Things are so different now. That would definitely be effects. But yeah, they, since they were setting things on real fire, and most of the set was made of plastic, 
the, all the actors kept getting like literal smoke and fume inhalation from this scene to the point where like, they were describing it and they're like, I would take a breath in and there would just be no oxygen. So I would just start to choke and it just be, yeah, because it's like plastic fumes and they had to all be taken off set and like be given given oxygen. oxygen. Yeah. They took a lunch. But then they went back and did the same exact scene without changing anything. So the exact same thing happened. And eventually someone was smart enough to be like, we should take the roof off the car to vent yeah. the fumes while yeah. we're shooting this scene. And then and even then they said like most of the enough. flames still had to be added in effects because like <laughs> yeah. were old, like dying. I think it was Bill Paxton that said like, I don't know what, what they did eventually. I think they just did CG and they didn't cut to anybody else to confirm. Right. No, or exactly. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what he said. They probably did use some of the takes. Yeah. Where people were, like on the verge of dying right yeah. but it looked good so yeah it looked good and we get this fun scene one of the aliens sticks his head through the door and hicks is one of the marines sticks its gun sticks his gun into the mouth and says eat this and then pulls the trigger and it blows its head off that was pretty good it's essential yeah <laughs> like very 80s very yeah. action movie <laughs> so then Ripley drives away like a bat out of hell, nearly getting killed when the alien shoves his tail through the windshield, but manages to like knock it off and drive them to safety. In this skedaddle, I'll call it, <laughs> the lieutenant is knocked out. Vasquez says, oh, they have to stop because the car is super damaged. Like she, the axle. Yeah. yeah. They said axle, right. but then they said something else after it that made no sense, but. It wasn't drivable. It just, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was total. <laughs> yeah. So Vasquez now says she wants to go back in and nerve gas the place. One of the other Marines who I think is Hudson says he just wants to like leave and call it even just like, let's just fucking get out of here. Yep. Ripley says uh, we should fly away and nuke it from orbit. Yep. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. That's, <laughs> the, one. That's <laughs> the one you should do. So. We finally understand Burke's purpose is what I call it because he then starts talking about how expensive the building site is and that they can't destroy it. Ripley says they can bill me, which I was like, excellent Ripley. Yes. Burke says that all of this, like everything that everyone else is doing is an emotional reaction to want to kill the aliens and that they're a unique species that could be studied and he can't and won't authorize the violence they're talking about. That's Sorry. literally what you agreed to. Right, right. Quick pause. I have to shift to Miss Lemesky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Burke fully lied to her. Again, that's the single thing she asked in the call. Like, are we going there to kill them or to study them? He said, kill them. She said, all right, bet. Right. And what he actually meant is that I'm a liar, liar who lies. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to do. And it's yeah, he says it's like they're uh, they're arbitrarily important or what do you let me see? He said clearly an important species we're dealing with. I don't think that you or or I or anybody has the right to arbitrarily exterminate them. Yes, this is no arbitrary. They killed every single person on this planet except right. for this child, and then most of our marines. What the fuck are you talking about? They're clearly yeah, they're clearly, predatory. They're awful. That we can't. We're, right. we're struggling to kill them. <laughs> specifically hostile towards humans yeah. uses us as a host body 
Like, this is not something we should fuck with. So then Ripley, always being on top of shit, reminds everyone that this is a military operation Mm -hmm. and that the person actually in charge is Corporal Hicks. Now that the other guy got his head donked. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So Hicks then calls for an evac and says they're going to nuke the site from orbit like Ripley wanted since it's the only way to be sure. And I was like, yes, good. Mm. He seemed, to be fair, he seemed kind of on the fence until the Burke guy called him a grunt. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, oh, grunt, am I? Now we're definitely right. nuking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Burke is just a shit guy, man. There's no shit. need to be rude. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, the team leaves the safety of the car to stand outside and wait for the shuttle. At the shuttle, one of the guys is like walking on where they've left the back loader door open. Like the entire door, like the whole bay door is open. And he finds like some goo and like pokes at it, but then like keeps going anyway. And then, you know, we don't see him again. Mm-hmm. Then the pilot sees the door open behind her and thinks it's like her fellow Marine, but instead it's the alien which kills her before she's even able to draw her gun out of her holster. And of course this causes the ship to crash. Mm -hmm. Newt, the little girl acknowledges that they won't be able to leave the planet now and confirms that the aliens are most active at night. That's a new detail. That was not something from the first movie. Right. Dark equals scary. Yes. Which I mean, it's already, I feel like, I'm like, how can you even tell the nighttime from the daytime on this planet? Because it always looks dark, but okay. I guess darker darker yet. I I guess so. I didn't really think that. I thought they were maybe like dineral, but sure. Yeah. So they go back into the original building and take inventory of the remaining weapons. Ripley asks how long it takes for reinforcements to come, like after they notice that basically they haven't been in contact. Yeah. And it's 17 days which, like, did they even pack 17 days worth of food for Probably the situation? Not. Yeah. So this causes Hudson to freak out, but Ripley puts him back in his place and gives him a task, which I thought was really good because that's known to focus people when they're in, like, times of really deep stress. Because mm-hmm. he does, like, calm down when she's like, all right, you need to go do ba 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 ba. Yeah. And he's like, okay, okay, and is able to calm down, which is his task was to go get all the floor plans for, for that building. Is this where he gives the iconic line of like, game over, man, game over? I think it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it is this this part. I had heard that line, but I I, I didn't know it was from this movie. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Bishop then shows back up. I, I don't know where he was, but he shows back up and says uh, he'll be staying in the med bay doing his research and looking after the lieutenant who's still knocked out, by the way. Ripley then looks over the floor plans that Hudson was able to get and figures out how aliens are getting in, uh, which is this long like service tunnel from like the other facility into this building and where they should put up some blockages and barricades to help keep them alive as long as possible. She's then given a locator by Hicks and she puts Newt to bed, but Newt is of course scared and says that she gets nightmares and Ripley tries like she's very much in mom mode in this movie which is very different so she's like trying to comfort her and says like oh like your doll who had a name is gonna be here with you and Nude is just like this is just a piece of plastic and I was like okay (laughs) I was like okay but then 
Ripley gives Newt her locator for luck and confirms that she won't let anything happen for to her and she'll just be right next door. Very mod-like. So in the med bay, Bishop is telling Ripley about alien facts that are not actually helpful. <laughs> she posits that something must be actively laying eggs for over a hundred colonists to be killed. And then she tells Bishop to kill the specimens when he's done with them. But he lets her know that Burke told him to put them into stasis and get them on the ship instead. What the fuck? So now here's the confrontation of Burke. Mm -hmm. Ripley is laying into Burke, who tells her that the specimens would be invaluable to company research. He further explains that he was planning on sneaking the specimens back and that he and Ripley would be rich after doing this. Still, he somehow doesn't understand that this is beyond a life or death situation. Like, it is dire. And why would you think that Ripley is here for the money? Right? (laughs) Like, you offered her all sorts of shit and she didn't want it. Like, she doesn't want the money, bro. The one thing she wanted was what you promised her, which was killing that. (laughs) Right? So then Ripley drops a bombshell, uh, saying that she knows that he was the one who originally sent the colonists to look at the alien ship without warning them of the danger. So he claims that he didn't warn them because he wasn't sure if the ship was real. So he didn't want a big security situation where he wouldn't get the exclusive rights to whatever that they found. And I was like, you motherfucker. I didn't want to do things the legal way. I wanted to do things for me. And he's just like trying to minimize it. Like it was just a bad call. It was just, yeah, a, bad it's just a bad call. I'm like, which you're continuing. 70 families are dead. Yeah. And you're still like, obviously don't give a fuck about them because you just want to take the things that killed them. Mm-hmm. And also just like so naive and stupid. Like I almost thought he must be a robot too the whole time. Like, he's just so, he sucks. Yeah, naive. Mm-hmm. And he's like weirdly disappointed that she isn't as like sleazy and ruthless as he is. Like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So afterward. Bishop shows the group that uh, the nuclear meltdown in the other building actually has begun, actually due to the plane crash rather than the shots being fired. <laughs> Which, like, sure, but then why did you even meant? Okay, right, whatever. right, I know. Uh, and that there is no way to stop it. The meltdown will happen in four hours. There is no way for them to call the other ship down from, like, the other shuttle down from the big ship in orbit. Because the comms are down, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I'll just say thank God that that four hour time limit was not, in this case, the movie. Like the real. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because pretty much every other time limit is real time in the movie. Yeah. But yeah, one of them time limits. (laughs) So they can manually contact the ship from the dish directly outside. But it's nighttime, so the aliens are out. Bishop, as an android says he can do this and also says he's the only one who knows how to remotely pilot the ship anyway bishop is put into like a pipe <laughs> to crawl i this was i hate small spaces so this was yeah horrifying he's put into a pipe that's literally like yes like shimmy in it to get down to the dish which they said it's like 400 meters or some shit yeah. and he says even with like him shimmying down him contacting the ship it getting there and them getting off the planet it, they're cutting it really close to that four hour time limit. Yeah. 
So also, like, do you even trust him to do that once he gets there? Well, I, I mean, I, that was my thought. Your only, but your only option, I guess. Yeah. Ripley then asks Hicks to make sure he kills her. If the aliens get to her, he agrees, but then like they, they begin to like weirdly flirt using guns. I didn't. Yeah. They have this like weird sexual tension the entire movie and I don't get it. Yeah. She's like so much more mature and better. Like so like aware, aware, like self-reliant in the first movie. And in this one, that's really toned down. Yeah. She's still tough. Don't get me wrong. It's just like not the same. Right. So the Lieutenant finally wakes up and tries to apologize to Ripley, but she like (laughs) cuts him off in mid sentence and walks away. Ripley goes to check on Newt, but Newt is actually sleeping under the bed and Ripley curls under the bed to sleep with her. I didn't get why they didn't do that in the first place. I think it was Newt only slept under the bed because she was scared and used to small spaces. Yeah, I just mean like together in the same bed, right? Well, I don't know. I guess I guess Ripley thought that Newt could like handle sleeping by herself. That's true. I just would have worried, like, I don't know if an alien's going to take any prey. It's probably going to be the tiny child. Like, I feel like these aliens see all humans, <laughs> regardless of size, as just like right. equally gettable. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Snatchable. Yeah, for sure. So we quickly go to Bishop, who's outside now. He has accessed the dish and he calls the plane down from the mothership. <laughs> I call this next section, uh oh. What is wrong <laughs> with me? <laughs> so Ripley wakes up to the door because they're sleeping in the med bay. And I guess like the quarantine area. She wakes up to the door being closed. And one of the face hugger containers from like the science part is just like open and empty in their cell. She reaches up on the bed to get her gun where she left it, but it's not there. And you see it's instead outside in the main area outside the doors. The face hugger that's in the room tries to get to her, but she's able to fend it off. She tries to signal Hicks through the video. There is a like camera in there. She tries to like wave him down, but then we see Burke in like the monitoring room or the operations room turn off the 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 TVs. So clearly, it was him that did this. He knew he couldn't be trusted, but he just keeps disappointing us more and more. Right? Somehow it just keeps getting worse. (laughs) Ripley tries to break the glass, of course, to no success as a quarantine area. She then takes her lighter that she has on her, again, because this is the 80s and everyone's smoking inside, (laughs) and holds it up to the sprinkler system, causing it to activate and also alert people in in the operations room that something is happening. She has to continually fight off. We actually find out there's multiple face huggers in the room. But one is able to eventually get his tail wrapped around her neck while she holds it away from her face, like with her hands. Yeah. It was just horrifying. Yeah. And I didn't, wouldn't it like spit at, like, I feel like the last time that happened in the last movie, it started spitting. Or like when, when it was like further away, but it was like sensed human. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe I watched the director's cut then too. <laughs> I think I also watched the director's cut last time, but I don't remember. Yeah, I just, just yeah. I think the only thing with the facehugger last time is they tried to pry it off and then and it, it yeah, began like choking the other person and yeah, also acid blood. Acid. So another one is about to attack Newt, but Newt is able to like pin it against a wall with like a desk by its tail. Uh, the rest of the team arrives and shoots out the window with Hudson helping Newt and shooting the face hugger, trying to get to her. 
uh, while the other people go to Ripley and like struggle to unwrap its tail from her neck. They do, and they're able to throw it across the room and shoot it to death as soon as she can breathe. Like literally the second she can gasp for air, she tells the team that it was Burke who did this. Yep. (laughs) So they immediately get Burke. There was no additional scene here that I know of, which I was like, good, just immediately. (laughs) They get Burke, tie him down. Ripley explains to the team that his plan was definitely to get her and Newt, she uses the term impregnated here with aliens and then put them in stasis to get them through the checks. She further explains that since the rest of the team would know what happened, he would sabotage their stasis chambers on the trip back and then jettison their bodies into space and then make up a story for what happened to them. Berg, of course, is actually, he's just not good at lying. And he's just like, oh, she's paranoid and delusional. And the rest of the team does not believe him and just wants to kill him. But it's Mm -hmm. Ripley who disagrees. But as she's going through this with them, the power is cut and the emergency lights come on. The team gets out their sonars. Hudson is reading multiple aliens who are now back inside their perimeters somehow. And that's stressful, just like critical, critical, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh my God, my eyes. Yeah. (laughs) So Vasquez confirms this and Hicks calls them back in because they stepped outside the operations room to do this. They weld the door shut behind them, but the aliens are still coming and they think that maybe like something under the floor was missed. As Kate alluded to earlier, like the air vents in this place are big enough for humans to crawl through. Therefore, the aliens can also fit. Also, I know it's a trope, but for once I want to see in a movie where the air vents aren't ridiculously large. Air vents aren't that big. Like, no, it's air. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, it turns out there's space like above the ceiling panels and also under the floors. And I was like, who designed this place? (laughs) And now they are sealed in this room because they welded the door shut and all the aliens are just coming from like in the ceiling. Every space, which there are many. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which they're so like, why would you even have all these safety features if you could just crawl through the ceiling to get anywhere you needed to go? Right. Or under the floors too. So all the aliens start dropping down from the ceiling and they start firing at them with guns, of course, and they all try to retreat to medical. But the worst person in the movie, Burke, gets there first and seals the door behind him so they can't get into medical with him. Uh, Hudson is grabbed by an alien who comes up through the floor. So he's gone. I forget. You haven't ever played Among Us, right? I haven't. No, that was a straight that that sealing the medical door. I just occurred to me as you said it. I'm like, I bet they took a lot of this from aliens because like that's exactly a move is like you can cause a, a like a commotion that everybody has to go like fix like a nuclear meltdown, let's say. And then if you are the one that, that called it and then you get there first, you just close it. <laughs> <laughs> so Hudson dies from an alien who comes up through the floor. Hicks then melts the lock to medical with a welding kit that they have this entire movie. I, I didn't really understand why they had a welding kit with them, but like, sure, sure. But they get in, but Burke is able to close another door in front of them. So they're trapped in this like in-between space, like basically in a tiny hallway. So many spaces, so many doors. So many. <laughs> so Burke is in medical, but then like turns around and there's like an alien behind him, obviously, since this entire place is not actually sealed Mm -hmm. 
Newt guides them into the air ducts while Vasquez takes the rear to hold off the aliens. Bishop lets them know that the ship will be there in 16 minutes. First time we're getting the like actual timing. Yeah. The group begins to get separated in the ducts with Vasquez getting hurt from the acid blood. The lieutenant goes back to help her. Uh, well, kind of Hicks, romantic book ending. But like, <laughs> no, I just they didn't even like each other. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so Hicks goes forward with Newt and Ripley. They get to this like weird area with like a with like a. Okay, the only way I could describe it is if you've ever seen a riverboat and they have those paddles. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's yes. a riverboat paddle, but like in an air vent. And because sure, yeah, <laughs> sure. So, well, I mean, maybe that's real. I'm, I'm certainly not an HVAC specialist. Yeah. It just, at this point, it's just like, it's All a right. whole other series of room. Okay. Is it the air deck? Is it really? Or is it just air passes through here? I don't know. Right. Anyway. Cause it's like a, it's a room. It's big. Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Newt then is trying to cross this paddle boat that's <laughs> moving and then gets like trapped in between the grooves and then is pulled down another air shaft which leads directly i'll say south really this was fun for newt's actress the yes. river part she said it was doing it yeah she said the slide was fun because that's what it was so oh, yeah, yeah it was a big slide and mm-hmm. it went down into like mats so she just like kept quote unquote messing it up until yeah. eventually uh jim caught jim. on and yeah. was like we we gotta keep moving <laughs> keep filming you going down the slide yeah water park um, day is over so the area she slides down into in in movie is this like water filled area again i don't know what this was supposed to be like functionally on in this building but it's like a, a it would be like a sewer but there's it's just water it's just water under the ground yeah under the floors rather and so they go track her down using the location bracelet she still has uh, and this would be Ripley and Newt. Oh, I forgot to say, when the lieutenant goes back for Vasquez, they can't shoot all the aliens. They run out of bullets, so they blow themselves up with a grenade. So that's mm-hmm. how they die. Yeah. But back to this. It's just at this point, there's like so much carnage. So many deaths. It's just Honestly, like one or two you miss this time. <laughs> there's probably like 15 Marines in the beginning. And yeah. you're just like, and they all have names. And you're just like, I don't, like right. what? This one, that one. Yeah. yeah. All their personalities are very similar too. Yeah. So they find Newt and she's like under like floor grates. And I was like, why is there so much grating in this place? But she's under floor grates above like this water situation. And they have to like cut through it with this welder that they still have. And oh, I called her Newt. I just realized because all the water scenes. I don't uh, know. Oh, I I hope not. I don't know. They never explained it. Anyway, yeah. So Ripley and Hicks begin to cut through the grating. And as they're doing this, you see an alien rise behind her in the water. And when they finally are able to get through, she's obviously gone. Ripley, though, is like insisting that she will not leave her and that they take people alive and therefore they can save her and Hicks makes them keep moving. Yeah. Aliens try to get them when they're in an elevator, but Hicks shoots it, which gets acid onto his chest armor in the process. He's manages to get his armor off, but it still has burned him very badly. 
They get outside and the other shuttle has arrived. Ripley tells Bishop they are not leaving yet because they have to go save Newt. Bishop then flies into the building that's become like the alien lair, where also the nuclear meltdown is like happening. Just want to point out, no one's in any kind of like radioactive protective gear in this movie, and nor do they seem like it's a problem. But right. So they're okay. gonna get away, but not yeah. Yeah, not for long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. Watch Chernobyl, guys. You will be oh. traumatized. Yeah. Bishop flies into this lair. Ripley arms herself to the teeth. And like Ripley enters the lair as an announcement that says they have 15 minutes to reach safety, like a safe distance, not even get out of the building, safe distance, like 15 minutes, guys. And again, it's really 15 minutes from the time this scene happens to the time everything actually does melt down. I think there was 30 in the director. No, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. But it was, yeah, it was too long. But She goes down the elevator and she's walking through the hallways, burning dark corners with like a flamethrower just in case, and then throwing down flares, I guess, to guide her path uh, on her way back or to like mark her path. Yeah. Also video game. In the video game, this is like the clear, like they instruct you to do that. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. My only note for this scene was this, that like Jonesy equals Newt. Like one, the first one, she's like, I'm not leaving without the cat. And this one, she's like, I'm not leaving without this girl. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like they took a lot of the themes and like the plot points from the first movie and then like slightly changed them or like made them bigger. Like in the first movie, it was five, what was it? Five minutes to get out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's 15. And like, I don't know. I'm like, didn't we already do this? Yeah. And they expressly say in this one that it's like the time that you need to be safe away. Whereas the other one was just like, she just happened to be in a safe distance. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So she uses that proximity bracelet alarm thing to try to find Newt, but then she only finds the bracelet. We then cut to Newt, who's all gummed up to a wall with the resin, which in real life was fiberglass. Yeah. So like every time they had to keep doing this scene, Ripley's hand or Sigourney's hands would get torn up because it's just like fiberglass that she had to keep ripping down who thought of this i don't know that's just an unsafe set (laughs) isn't it also like highly flammable yeah it's not good (laughs) and you also shouldn't breathe it in it's it's just not good yeah so (laughs) we see like one of the alien eggs open in front of newt with a like a face hugger coming out and she starts screaming, obviously, and that's how Ripley's able to find her. An adult alien comes out, but Ripley's able to kill both the adult alien and the facehugger, getting Newt off the wall and literally picking her up and trying to carry her to safety. One kind of fun thing in this section is like they created like a full body cast of like Newt's actor. They made a doll basically out of the body cast for Sigourney to carry around this whole time. Like, yeah, there are scenes when you see her moving and stuff that it's really like the little girl, but other times it's, it's a doll. And it looks Which, pretty real. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness. Cause I'm sure that would have gotten exhausted. And they're yeah. already in like actual heat, actual, like. Well, she said it was actually extremely cold cause they filmed it in the dead of winter in England. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> Everyone else apparently was in like coats on set and she was in like a t-shirt and pants oh and God. carrying around a child. So 
tough. Yeah. So the scene when she was stuck in the cocoon, I think that was also the scene that they said um, Newt's mom was allowed on the set at all times, except for the scene where they wanted her to feel like the most scared and the most like yep. trapped. Yep. And she said she really, really did. And I was like, dang, that's kind of psychological. I don't know. That's questionable to do to a child actor, but okay. Yeah. And I'm also not really sure if I could tell the difference in her face and in yeah. her energy. So like, I don't really know if that was necessary. Yeah, and in fact, scared. I'm going to say it wasn't so scary. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're running through trying to get back, but the nuclear reactor starts to go off again. No one seems to be worried about radiation, but Ripley stops because she encounters a room full of unhatched eggs. We then see an ovipositor, which is what you call the thing that lays eggs mm-hmm. on the ceiling kind of it's enormous and it's just like full of eggs and like slowly depositing them. Ugh. It was disgusting. Then yeah. we see like finally the alien queen, which is massive. And I said many limbed. Yeah. <laughs> I said, el- yeah, like eld- Eldritchian. Yeah. yeah. Like a really, really extended, long, flat head. Too many arms and legs. Ugh. Plus attached this weird, like, tube ovipositor that's like feet and feet and feet and feet long. Mm. Full of eggs the size of a, a dog. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like Basically, that, yeah. That seems to be my measurement Not even small for these dogs. eggs. No, yeah. like, like a medium to large dog. Yeah, the size of the egg. Yeah. Disgusting. I thought it was interesting that they keep morphing it. Like first, the first movie was very crustacean-like and now it's a clear like bees, Mm -hmm. bees reference. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And we we get why that happens in some of the later movies that come out. So we see other aliens start to like crawl out of the woodworks and they're just like watching Ripley. They don't attack her. They just watch her. But then... Ripley like starts to like burn some of the eggs and the queen just like I guess calls back the other aliens because they slowly like slide back into the shadows mm-hmm. and she starts to walk away but then she just sees an egg opening while she's walking away and she just sets the whole fucking place on fire yeah you know what <laughs> fuck it like but, one yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> she, exactly mm-hmm. so then she starts shooting at the aliens, which are now coming out back out of the shadows. And then she just starts firing grenades at the alien mother, especially specifically at her like ovipositor thing. Yeah. I get that. It's cool. And I, I, maybe it was just the director's cut. Hopefully not. Or I don't know, but it was just so many shots of just like Sigourney shaking and then the, the time shaking and then Sigourney shaking and then the time shaking. I was like, Oh my God. I don't even remember that. What I do remember is like, we see the grenades go into the ovipositor like 18 times. Yeah. Like it happens a million times. And I'm like, all right, we, I get we, it. We get yeah. it. I get, this is a scene to me that was way too long. Yeah. So and then finally she throws all the rest, like she has like a, like a bandolier of grenades on her and she throws all of them armed at the Into queen. The fire. Yeah. And then she like runs away. But as before it goes off, the queen like detaches itself from the ovipositor thing. Uh, yeah. And like starts to chase her. Ripley retraces her steps and runs into the elevator. But like, it has to come down from upstairs, which I was like, why wouldn't it be down already? Right because she left it at the bottom like it'd still be at the bottom unless burke like 
tiptoed and called it somehow. Oh, yeah. uh, a bishop, yeah. Oh, yeah, bishop. Which we'll get to him in a bit. Yeah. The queen then arrives just as the elevator gets there. But, you know, the doors close. They're able to get in. But her flamethrower, Ripley's flamethrower, is out of, out of juice. But there's a second elevator that then also arrives at the bottom floor. And the queen, like, gets in the elevator. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. Just because there's so many spaces, ducks, elevator, like, sure, of course. Yeah, she yeah. gets in the elevator and then knows to press the button to go upstairs. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> so, you know, they, they get up there, but the, the plane is gone. So it's just like Ripley holding Newt and then like everything is literally collapsing around her. She turns and sees that the other elevator is still coming up. She knows it's going to be the alien queen. And she's just like, well, fuck. The queen does okay. arrive, but Bishop then shows up in the plane and they climb on. The plane gets rattled around and the landing gear isn't fully able to close due to debris. And they just managed to escape the blast radius. Again, no, no context for um, radiation here. Right. Ripley then assures Newt that like, we made it. (laughs) Yeah. And Bishop claims that Hicks was passed out due to the additional pain medicine that bishop needed to give him and like i just want to clarify i've not seen the third alien movie but i know what happened here yeah so then they're like they're like on their big ship the one that was in orbit and bishop is standing like on the platform next to the ship talking to ripley when he is suddenly stabbed through the stomach with the queen's tail which was a pretty cool shot yeah it literally rips bishop in half into two pieces (laughs) That was, yeah, which it, again, it's a cool shot, but I was just like, man, they had to do that whole, like how many silicon bodies they had to make in this thing? Like, and that, yeah. again, like we saw, I don't know. It was one cool, actually, it, it, was fun. it wasn't a body. It was, they like fed the tail up through his shirt and then pulled it out through latex oh, yeah. like with a string. Like it was actually very smart how they did it. Cause they didn't have to use too much tech until like mm. his first body half we see like flop on the floor right after he's ripped apart that's a body double uh, yeah. like the silicone top half and that's really it i just yeah i mean i get like i think the obviously the first the cool like piercing scene would lead to that but it was just like okay like yes you've given us everything that we liked in the first movie cool thank you <laughs> yeah yeah i know they they did a lot of things almost beat for beat from the first movie yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so i like that bishop though was like a redeemable well i don't think so but we'll talk about that yeah (laughs) ripley then distracts the alien queen while newt goes to hide under more floor grades and like again why do you have so many empty spaces under the floor but sure they took what they could work with i guess (laughs) ripley then closes it behind the door like behind a big door but like newt is in that area too so obviously it goes to Newton and tries to like get her through the floor with its many <laughs> limbs. <laughs> but then Ripley comes to the rescue and the, you know, this is a scene that's been done to death a million times, a million parodies. Ripley comes out in the power suit to fight the alien queen and says the very famous line of get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and they proceed to fight. I'm not going to get into the fight. because it's, it's, mon- it's a mecca, yeah. human mecca versus alien fight. Yeah. Right. 
So after a while, Ripley is able to fall back on her old fave and kicks the queen out of an airlock. Bishop is able to grab Newt. Again, Bishop's not dead. He's an android. He's just in half. So (laughs) Bishop is able to save Newt from flying out of the android. Ripley crawls back in, closes the hatch, and Newt goes to her calling her mommy. Which why? Again, they were very heavy handed like, see guys, Ripley's a woman and get it? Aliens, alien mother. They're both trying to protect their kids. Don't you see? It's mother versus mother. And I was like, we get it. I got it. Thank you. But like the kid's 11 and no, I feel like even though she has PTSD, like she remembers her mom. Yeah, her mom that was alive like two weeks ago. Auntie Ripley. Yeah, Yeah, Ripley something, but mommy. Mommy. Okay. Final scene. They put Hicks and Bishop's, I guess, top half (laughs) into stasis. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, we see Newt, like, all cleaned up. And the final shot is of Ripley and Newt peacefully sleeping in their chambers and roll credits. (laughs) So, like, I wanted to say, I know what's happening here, dude. I have not seen three. I have no context for it. But I know for a goddamn fact that Bishop put an egg inside Hicks, which is why he's actually sleeping and why he was actually gone from like the hangar. And that's the real reason he is, he's been sedated this whole time. I forgot that. Yeah. Now, I have not checked to see if that is true, but I can assure you that is true. Yeah, absolutely. I, the thing is I've seen alien three twice at least. Cause I did like, I do David Fincher binges sometimes. Love that. When I tell you. you that that movie is so bad. And not necessarily through his fault. It was like a it was like a director versus production fight the whole time. But I I have no desire to see it again. But it was so bad that I just keep erasing it out of my mind. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, I had a one of my friends asked me if we were going to watch it, and I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think unless we have like something astronomical, we will always stick to the single sequel thing in this podcast because. I don't think you guys want to listen to a month and a half of us talking about a single franchise. Especially when we're tired of it ourselves. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to watch another movie in this franchise. So, no, especially not Alien 3. That's yeah. the absolute worst one. Like, the, the director disavowed it. Everybody, it's, it's awful. It did well, but it's awful. <laughs> so, on that note, next week, I believe we're talking about my favorite sci fi movie, which is Annihilation. Mm. Yes. Um, it has Oscar Isaac in it and Natalie Portman. Tessa Thompson. Oh, Tessa Thompson. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Tessa Thompson. Yes. Yeah. Tessa Thompson is an excellent movie. It's like definitely has like a lot of elements of cosmic horror in it. Like an alien who has no regard or concept of human life. Like it does not want anything. It's not trying to eat people. It's not trying to harm us. It just exists and its very existence is harmful to humans. Right. And I think that is a supremely Scary. interesting concept. Yeah. So I yeah. think I saw that movie three times in theaters Ooh. when it came out. I know. Most probably I've ever seen a movie in theaters. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I saw it once in theaters, once on streaming. But I've never read the book. And I don't think... You said you haven't either, right? But your sister has? I haven't either. The Southern Reach trilogy, which is... Mm what Annihilation is a part of is one of my sister's favorite book series. 
And she said the books are very different from the movie. And so she doesn't enjoy it because it's so different from the book, which I totally understand. But Mm. as its own movie, I think it is really good. Since we do have two weeks until the next episode, I am going to try to read Annihilation in between, or maybe, maybe I'll listen to it. I'll listen. Yeah. So on that note, thank you guys for listening. If you can, please join us on Instagram, join us uh, on our website. Please like, review, comment, whatever you can. Any kind of interaction um, is very helpful to us in getting us out there on the charts. Yeah. Any kind of feedback, really. And as often as we're able, I will go back now that I'm editing the episodes. Like I will edit what I can in to fix. But uh, like we got some helpful feedback um, about like introducing ourselves, which we started doing finally. But (laughs) anytime that you do give us feedback, just remember that we record these weeks in advance. So it might be a couple of weeks until you see what you mentioned to us being put into effect, but we'd still really, really appreciate everything. We love every single critique, praise, whatever, whatever yeah. you want to tell us. Please. Every comment we yeah. appreciate. And uh, I hope you guys join us in two more weeks where we'll be talking about Annihilation. We'll talk to you then. Yay. Bye. Bye.